Well, I don't know whether you know the story. We all, I've got to be on that royal theme again. We've been on that royal theme for a bit, haven't we? Perhaps you know the story of the, uh, the, li- the little paper shop that's just down the road from uh, Balmoral Castle. Now, what's special about Balmoral Castle? I take it you don't often go there in residence. Oh, dear, we're half dead today. Come on, help me out, will you? Help me out. Queen sometimes lives there. It's her, it's her like summer and winter home. So apparently sometimes she's, uh, she's up there. But part of that means that they, it, it's a bit of a tourist trap as well. So one day the lady in the local paper shop was just going about her business and an elderly lady walked by. In fact, the elderly lady walked in. She didn't see what car she'd got out of, but she was wearing wellies, had got a, a smart sort of headscarf on and a rather smart jacket. And she goes up and she starts looking around and she's there to buy a newspaper. She goes over and starts having a little look at some of the uh, tourist memorabilia, you know, sort of like the royal plates and all that kind of thing. And she, in fact, asked the lady at the paper shop, she said, uh, please uh, tell me, which of these memorabilia items are the most popular? And the lady behind the counter said, well, actually, it's, it's the one, it's the plate there with the picture of Her Majesty. Oh, says the lady. The lady behind the counter says, so to think of it, you look a little bit like Her Majesty, don't you? In fact, you'd make a wonderful double. And in the way that only Her Majesty could, she said, hmm, how very reassuring. Walks out the shop, and it's at that point that the the lady behind the counter notices that the lady who's just been in the shop is just getting into a big, black, shiny Range Rover with a whole fleet of security guards around her, and it's at that point that she realises that she has had a brush with the monarch with the sovereign and in that moment it could have flown totally by her and in fact it did and it was only afterwards she missed she realized what she'd missed now over the last few weeks we've been into this whole topic of how do we use our money and if there's been one thing that i've wanted you to see it's that when you have a brush with the monarch it's not just like a good story to tell your mates it will affect you at every level If you meet with the Lord Jesus Christ, if you encounter him personally, you won't just be telling the story about it over a pint in the pub. Actually, what will happen is it will so change you that the things that you have built your life on before, which so often is the gathering and getting together of stuff and money, actually what you build your life upon will be so turned around that you'll be totally different. And so what we're doing today is we're going to take that principle that is found there, which I've just read in 1 uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to see it in action in one of my favourite stories in the Bible, the account of Zacchaeus. Now some of you went to Sunday school, you know it's one of the most popular stories, and at one level, basically all the story of Zacchaeus is, very rich dude who's a bit of a nasty crook, goes up a tree, Jesus comes and speaks to him, he comes down and gives half his gear away. On one level, it doesn't get more complicated than that, but actually... As we look into this story, we get to see what happens when somebody encounters the real Lord Jesus Christ. And can I tell you how helpful that will be for us today? It will help you know, and me know, whether we have actually properly met the King and let him impact our lives. You'll see something of yourself in this. In fact, this is the last account in Luke's Gospel of Jesus meeting anybody before he goes into Jerusalem to do what he's come to do. So if you like, this is a summary story of everything that Jesus is going to to do in people's lives through what he's about to achieve when he goes to Jerusalem 
to die on a cross. So this is, if you like, a little bit of a, a picture. A picture of what happens when somebody gets transformed. We use the word converted by the king. So let's dig into the story. So hopefully grab, grab your Bibles, go uh, Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Okay? Right, so it says, Jesus entered Jericho, which is a little bit like Costa del Sol. It was sort of like the... Uh, yeah, uh, Marbella, you know, the, the sort of playground of the rich and famous from Jerusalem. Some of them would have had a summer home. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And in those days, when um, somebody passed through, it was the kind of town where if something was happening, everybody came out their doors. They stood on the street, they wanted to see what was going by, and they would all have done it for different reasons. Perhaps there were some people who just wanted to pass the time of day. But the author here focuses in on Zacchaeus. Can you see why? In fact, we find out about Zacchaeus. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. We'll come back to that in a minute. He wanted to see who Jesus was. In fact, at the start of that verse 3, look at it again. He says, he wanted to see who Jesus was. In one of the other translations of the Bible, it says, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Now, that word seeking or wanting to was more than just a vague, hmm, now let's pop and have a look. I wonder how tall he is. I wonder, where, you know, it's not sort of like one of the ladies wandering out and going, oh, I wonder whether he's good looking or not. Hmm, it's not that kind of thing. It's sort of... He has a determined effort to go and have a look. In fact, elsewhere in Luke's Gospel, we've got parables about a shepherd who leaves 99 of his flock to go and seek the one who was lost. So there's a determination, an urgency. And there would have been stacks of people in that crowd that day. Some would have just turned up because they'd, got, they'd heard the rumours of what Jesus could do, that he was a miracle worker, and they'd come with their ailments, many of them in serious need, and that was what they wanted something from Jesus. There would have been mums there holding up the baby. Put your hand on my baby. Bless my baby. There would have been other people who would jockey in for position. Can I be somewhere near Jesus as he travels by? Perhaps I'll get the honour of having him come to my house. And yet the author points out that Zacchaeus here wanted something more than that. There was nothing wrong with that, but he wanted more than that. He was seeking... He was seeking to see who Jesus was. Is that you? Seeking to see who Jesus is. There's a big difference as many people will gather come nearby Jesus, maybe to get something from Jesus. But Zacchaeus had it right. He was coming to see who Jesus was. Could it be true that this is God's Son? That's a great question to ask. Because if, if he is, then that changes everything. But we'll come back to that in a minute because we need to recognise that poor Zacchaeus had a couple of hindrances to this. Hindrance number one was who he was. You know, the name Zacchaeus means just or pure. Now, way back in those days, parents would give their kids names in line with their aspirations for their kids. And can I tell you, never was there somebody who was more of a disappointment to their parents than Zacchaeus. They'd named him just and pure, but what was he? A chief tax collector and was wealthy. We find later he's got a big house and he's a little fella and he climbs trees. But the big thing that's highlighted was he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now please don't think UK and tax collectors. We have a pop of the inland revenue. Back then, the Jew uh, Jewish people were sitting under the oppression, and it was cruel oppression, of the Roman Empire. 
And what the Roman Empire did to maintain a stranglehold and keep the people down was they would apply massive taxation. It meant that the, that the people were always dependent on Rome because Rome had got all their money. It was a way of keeping them weak and keeping them away from freedom and liberty. And what they did was they appointed tax collectors to impose those tax, to collect money from their own people and give it to the Romans. And then as a bit of an incentive, because the idea of basically being a collaborator wasn't that tasteful, was the Romans said to the tax collectors, right, you can cream off, skim off whatever you want and put it in your own pocket. So effectively... Zacchaeus was a state-sanctioned gangster. He was a shakedown artist. He got protection money. He, he basically saw people, his own people, family members, his neighbours, the people who he lived around, and he looked at them and he didn't see them as people. He saw them as opportunities to be exploited. How many women had he left in the poorhouse and didn't care about it? He was an embezzler, he was corrupt, he took bribes, and he did it all so that he could be rich. He was despised, he was hated. That is Zacchaeus. He, had no, he wasn't the kind of guy who got to get an invite to church on a Sunday. You know, sometimes from this pulpit I said, right, go think about who you can invite, bring them along. The last person you'd have invited was Zacchaeus. So the other day when I turned up at the playground to do our stint on the Friday night, more fence had been ripped out and I can tell you that for about half an hour, 45 minutes, I was ready to kill. I, can't, I was so angry. I was utterly furious. Some little had come along and just for no other reason than spite, picked up bricks and lashed them of what something that was put there for the good of the kids of the community. Putting marks all over it and ragged out fences and done it just for their own self-interest. I didn't want to invite him to church. I know that little bugger's name as well. Anyway, that Zacchaeus, that Zacchaeus, he was loathed by anybody who was respectable. He was a turncoat. You wouldn't have invited him to dinner. You would have sooner let a bomb his house. So that was one hindrance for poor Zacchaeus getting near to Jesus. And that was the part linked into the second one, which was the people around him. The people knew. Now I'm a little fella. And when I go to a crowd, in fact, I'm a little, my wife's been singing this at me all right. You know, some of you know the story that, you know, and Zacchaeus was a very little man, and a very little man was. She's been singing, and Zacchaeus was a very little man, and a very little man is Steve. And I've had that all week, which is really encouraging. But when I go to a crowd, because I'm not a threat to anybody bigger, if I'm in a crowd with Kosh, Right, we're standing next to each other. He doesn't mind me standing in front of him because I'm no threat, I'm just a little man. But here's this crowd, and would they let him through? Being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. They weren't letting him through. You're an outsider, and so you should be because of all that you've done. And here's poor Zacchaeus. What he does is he legs it to a tree and he climbs up into this sycamore tree so that he could get a view of Jesus. He must have been really keen to see Jesus. Why? Because if you're a gangster, do you do anything undignified? And what you do is you swagger. You know, usher, Peter, they're not gangsters. No. 50 Cent with these guns, they don't run and climb a tree as if they're in the sound of music. No, they, no, they, they won't do that. They'll swagger gently. He is so concerned to see Jesus and people are getting in his way 
but he goes and he climbs a tree. So let's see what happens. Verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, oh, you can imagine this, can't you? There have been people who are like the Royal Wedding, they've been queuing since 5 a.m. I don't know whether you watched the Royal Wedding and the way that they moved the crowd. So to start off with, there were the people who got really near Buckingham Palace. And then towards the end of it, when the, all the royals had arrived back in Rotherham Palace, all the sort of the dregs who'd, been, who'd sort of arrived late were brought right up the middle and got to go even closer. And the people had been queuing for like five or six, well, five or six days. They're like, oh, can you imagine the venom that was... And the same kind of venom here, because of all the people who were watching, when Jesus reached the spot, he sees past the crowd, he looked up at Zacchaeus, chewed on a fig, he said, Zacchaeus! Come down immediately, I must stay at your house today. And I don't know whether you've spotted it, but there were two things in there that would have made him nearly fall out of the tree. First one was Zacchaeus. He knows my name. He knows my name. Whoa, he knows my name. What else does he know about me? Because in that moment, he was getting a glimpse of who we're talking about. This was just not some normal celebrity. This is the Lord of the universe. This is the God. Well, if he knows my name, what else does he know about me? He knows my address. He knows my email. He knows the password to my email. He knows all the other things that I try to keep quiet from everybody. He knows me. And you know, I've said this to you before, haven't I? But so often what we will try to do is we will try to fool other people. And sometimes we will even try and fool ourselves. But Jesus knows Nothing was hidden from the Lord Jesus. And yet he comes to Zacchaeus. And at this point, Zacchaeus had been thinking, I've come seeking Jesus. And now suddenly he realises that the Lord Jesus has looked past the rest of the crowd, tuned straight into Zacchaeus, knowing his name, and the penny drops and he realises that no... The Lord Jesus was seeking me all this time. Why did he go to Jericho? If not to meet Zacchaeus. And if you're sitting here in church today thinking that this is an accident, you're an idiot. Because it says in verse 10 there, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. The Lord Jesus does for us what we can't do for ourselves. You see, lost property doesn't jump up and start running around looking for its owner, does it? No, the owner goes looking for lost property. Zacchaeus is lost property. And spiritually, without Christ, any one of us is lost property. We've walked out on the God who made us and loved us. And we've, in our own way, whether as abusively as Zacchaeus, or just more politely, by living as if God is not there, we have become lost property. And Zacchaeus up that tree... He was ostracised from the community because of these choices and because of his sins. He was ostracised from the faith community, couldn't get near God. Being up that tree is a picture of utter lostness. He's isolated, he's cut off. He's lost property. It's a picture of his eternal lostness because ultimately sin always leads for you cut off from God now, but that gets reinforced, confirmed and cranked up in eternity. You see, what would the Lord Jesus write over your life and mine without him? If he is not at the centre, if he is not the one who calls the shots, if he is not Lord of everything, then he looks at us, and whatever label you may like to have written over your life, he writes, 
lost and heading for a lost eternity. Sobering stuff, isn't it? Zacchaeus. But then what does Jesus say? Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now back in that first century, they were big on hospitality. Hospitality was more than let's sit down and have a bit of grub. Hospitality was not just I want to come and be a guest at your house. It was what it was I want you to invite me into your life. Nobody had done that with Zacchaeus of any repute. It was shocking, in fact, in verse 7, in a minute when we get to it, we'll see how shocking it was. He was a scumbag, a tow rag of the highest order, and here's Jesus saying, come out of your lostness and welcome me into the centre of your life. I know who you are, and I want you. I put this in place so that you would be one of mine for now and eternity. And verse 7 shows what people thought of this and I wonder whether you think the same in fact, if you don't think the same as this to a degree, you've missed the whole point all the people saw this and they began to mutter he has gone to be the guest of a sinner you see that because you can understand what their assumption and their idea is right away and perhaps it's yours you know, this idea of a sinner let me put it, a sinner like this there's this idea that if God is there, the people who he's interested in are those who sort of um, have got a tip mark above halfway perhaps or are towards the top end of the pile, but the bottom end of the pile of which those people are superior and can look down and call them sinner. The bottom part of the pile, they're hopeless beyond the pale, don't even speak to them, don't make inroads into their life, they're just there to fuel the fires of hell. Let them rot. And all those people looked at Zacchaeus, and you know what, some of them would have been right, because some of them, it was their mums, or their sons, or their daughters, or their mates, who had been robbed of dignity and opportunity because of what Zacchaeus had done. And they're standing there, how can Jesus do this? Have you got no idea how much he owes us? Have you got no idea how much he owes God? They're right, aren't they? They should be angry. If that little tow rack from over the road came in here, I'd be like, mm, welcome. It's hard, isn't it? And yet, what they haven't realised is what Jesus is there to do. Jesus is there to seek and to save the lost. And he is able to look out at that crowd feeling the criticism for what he's doing, taking it, knowing that Zacchaeus does owe a huge debt, but knowing personally for the Lord Jesus that he has come to be the one who will pay that debt for him. Do you see that? You see, Zacchaeus is up a tree, and he is isolated, and he is lost, and it's his own fault. But Christ has come to say, I will pay the price for him to come down out of the tree. In verse 5, you can see it here. Look at this. I love this. You know, verse 5. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. And then by the end of it, verse 9, Jesus says, Today, salvation has come to this house. 
you get it? This is the centre of the Christian message that Jesus is salvation. I'm coming to your house. Salvation is co- you know, salvation's a concept, isn't it? This idea of being ready. No! Salvation's a person. And he's called Jesus Christ. You see, religion says, there's the way to God. Go on, get going. There's the way. There's the way to salvation. Go on, move along the bus. Move along. Keep going. Have a go. And Jesus comes and says, no, I am salvation. I'm the only way. Even for Zacchaeus. You're not saved by what you do. Uh, by what you do, you're saved by what I'm going to do for you. It's not a case, the Christian message of, and meeting Jesus, it's not a case of saying, well look, there's the way to salvation. He says, I am salvation. He's not saying, there's the way to God. He's saying, I am God, come to earth to deliver you out of your muck, sin, greed, forgive your sin, and give you a whole new destination for your life. I'm not coming just to tinker around the outside. I'm coming to make everything new. A fresh start, a new beginning with me as the Lord in your life. And I love this. Because it gives me hope when I talk to people, whether it's you here, whether it's one-to-one, whether it's out in the streets. Because religion would have gone to Zacchaeus and said this, clean up your act, and then you can come to tea. Jesus says, let me come to tea with you and you'll never be the same again. And isn't that what we see here? Something happens between the tree and the house. Zacchaeus, uh, sorry, verse, uh, verse 6. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. That's sort of like a, a joy. You see that he's buzzing here. Something's happened. He actually went there to see Jesus, and as usual, got more than he bought who Jesus was. And he suddenly realised, because to start off with, it was saying he went to see Jesus. But by the end of it, verse 8, Zacchaeus stood up. We don't know what point. This is possibly before, that, um, before dinner or after dinner. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord. He's calling him Lord. Something, and the pennies dropped. Something's happened. He's realised that his whole life has got to be reorientated around this dinner guest. Because he's God with him. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. You can see the joy bubbling out of him. Can I tell you that whenever anybody meets with Jesus properly, there is a radical change. It's in a moment, and then it goes on. In that moment, he was changed. That moment, if you like, of surrender, of release, of forgiveness, of hope, he was changed in that moment, and then that change would have gone on through his life. But look at the amounts here. I don't know whether you've noticed this. Look, look here. I mean, it's like that. Look, look, it's not like, all right, Jesus, how much is it going to cost me to be in your gang? It's not like, it's like, look, Lord. It's like one of my little daughters. I come in from work, it's like, look, Daddy. And they've just got this big splodge on a piece of paper. And they say, it's a picture of you, Daddy. I'm like, am I gutted? Am I angry? No. They feel safe enough to bring me a rubbish picture because they know that my commitment to them is not based on what, how good they've done. 
They just want to bring pleasure and joy and look, share something of what's happened in their, in their day with me because they're in relationship. And here's, here's this giddy little gangster. Look, Lord! And what is it that he's done? Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. You won't find that in the Bible. In the Bible it says in the Old Testament and the Old Testament law for the Israelites they were supposed to give 10% of their stuff away. Not 50%. Jesus wasn't saying, uh, uh, <clears throat> I've come to tea now, come on, notch it up a bit. He was just like, look, look I just, I've met you, what had got a grip on me, and made me treat other people as things to be exploited. Actually, that thing that had got a grip and was ruling me and was in charge of me, my money, the thing that made me do cruel things, the thing that where I went for my status, my hope, my security, that thing, it's just been downgraded in my life. So much so that I'm going to give half of it away to bless people because I've met you. In fact, next up it says, and if I cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now in the Old Testament, again, under the Levitical laws, there were certain kinds of um, making reparations for what you'd done wrong. So if you stole certain kinds of things, you had to give the thing back and pay 25% on top or 50% or 100% on top. What does he back, pay back here? He says, I will give four, back four times the amount. The highest, in the Levitical laws, the, the highest uh, penalty for stealing or taking something was, it was uh, something like cattle rustling or something like that. And under those circumstances, you have to pay back four times. So do you see what he's saying? He's free. Jesus didn't have to say to him. He knew Jesus knew. He just publicly said, I admit that I am the worst of all villains... And in your presence, Lord Jesus, I know I'm safe enough to say that. Because Jesus is going to be the one who secures him and makes him able to just be no... Some of, us, some of you, you, you see something's wrong in somebody else's life and you try to get them to fix it by shouting at them. That's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Does that change people? It doesn't change people. It might sort of manipulate them a little bit to be a bit different. But they're not free to change because you are a judge against them. Do you ever confess to a judge? Only if you're an idiot. Because what will a judge do if you confess to the sin? They will punish you. They'll get you. But Jesus wasn't acting as his judge. He was acting as his saviour. And he knew he was safe. And he could go to him, hands up, I admit it. And I don't want that to be me anymore. And only through meeting you am I free to let go of those things that I live for. And so people would have come along to poor Zacchaeus and say, well, come on, tell me what it means to follow Jesus and do this. And, you know, are you going to sort your act out? And And he'd have gone, oh, I don't know all about that. All I know is I've met with this man, Jesus, who I am now going to make my Lord. He has accepted me, he knows me, and I want to build my life on who he is. And it doesn't get any more complicated than that in the Christian life, which is great news, because it means that you and me can do it. Jesus has liberated us to be able to do that. We can be made new. And if you meet Jesus, the same will happen. If you've met Jesus, you'll want to give him everything, and you'll almost be gutted you can't give him more. And those things that used to be so valuable to you, your money and stuff, that the idea of giving any of it away, let alone 10, 50%, whoa, you just couldn't do that. The idea of that is nuts. Let's see how it differently is here. 
He's not saying, what must I give to be in with Jesus? He's just gutted he can't give more because he realises how much he's received. So please, as we think comes the end of this three-week series looking at our money and our possessions, please realise that when it comes to being a believer, you do not get salvation by your generosity. Please, if you've heard that, oh, tell me so I can shake you or something. It's not that you don't get salvation, you don't get in with God by giving. It's not salvation by generosity. It's generosity through salvation. Do you get the difference? This guy's been rescued and he's got a whole new agenda for his life. It's changed the values of everything. And if, and if, as I suppose I talk about being generous and giving, you still feel uncomfortable with that, and the idea of being generous, and the idea of sort of giving anything away, you find a little bit threatening and a bit frustrating, would rather I shut up, then please, whatever you do, don't give anything. Because there's a more important thing. The more important thing is that you realise and meet Jesus. Because anybody who's met Jesus thinks, you know, I owe him everything and it's a joy to be with him and give and be like him. So if you're sitting there, it's a good diagnosis, it's there to help you. Come and speak to me afterwards and say, Steve, I'm angry with what you're saying, but I want to be clear. Tell me a bit more about Jesus so I can be sure. Okay? And if you're somebody who's been going on with the Lord Jesus for a long time, you realise that if you want to be a generous person, the last thing you need to do is sit there and go, must be generous, must be generous, must be generous, must be generous, must be generous. You don't sit there with a calculator. What you do is you sit there with the cross. You sit there with what Jesus has done for you. For Jesus, at a point, came up to you while you were up a tree. When you were lost facing the consequence and the rejection that your own sin has brought, a million miles away from God, in that place that was a picture of what you will ultimately on your own be, which is lost eternally. And Jesus said, come down out of that tree. And the reason he said he could say that to you and me is because he was prepared to climb a tree. He was prepared to swap places See, the Bible says, cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. Jesus went to a cross to carry your sin, to be isolated where you should have been, to be lost eternally in the eyes of his Father and carry the price so that we could come down and enter into a meal with him. And each time you let that into your heart, you'll be made new. So let me ask you this as I finish. Some of you are in that position where you've been here a long time and I want you to just ask that as we sing these three songs that we're going to sing back to back in just a second, you know this and just be singing they're all about how the Lord has, has, has found us when we were lost. Just be praising the Lord that he's done that and be asking him in the quietness of your heart saying, Lord please, is there other ways in which you want me to use the opportunities and the money, the wealth you've given me to be generous like you How can I be something of a small Zacchaeus? Do that as we sing. For others of you, you're like, oh, if there's something in this, if Jesus really is the Lord of the universe and one day I'm going to be meeting him, I need to be a little bit sure, but I'm not quite ready, then please keep coming, please keep asking questions, come and speak to me afterwards. Or if you're somebody here who's been sitting here for a while or else you've had conversations with other people and you know there's something in this, but you're still sitting in the tree, can I tell you, please come down. He knows your name 
and he has done everything that is needed for you to be accepted, please come down and invite Jesus into your life as your Lord. Let him be your king. And you'll never be the same again. I'm going to pray now. Nathan, would you better go and retrieve Jane, please, so she can get on the piano. I'm going to pray and I'm going to sing three songs back to back. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are the God who comes to seek and to save his lost property. And we can't demand it. We certainly can't earn it. You have done it at your own initiative. You've come in love and in grace. And for that we praise you and we thank you. As that old song goes, I had a friend, oh such a friend, who loved me ere I knew him. He bound me with his cords of love and gently drew me toward him. And I thank you for him. I thank you that the Lord Jesus has done that with so many of us here and I pray for all of us here to know something of that grace and mercy rebuilding our life, giving us forgiveness and a certain hope in eternity. Please have your hand upon us now as we sing your praises. We love you and we love that you love lost people. Thank you Lord in your name. Amen.